It's the season finale of Big Apple Buckets. We recap a fun season of the podcast and look ahead to what's next for your New York Knicks. But more importantly, we go out with a bang as we are joined by the coach of those memorable late 90s Knicks teams. It's the legendary Jeff Van Gundy. All that and more next on Big Apple Buckets with the New York Post. Welcome to Big Apple Buckets, our New York Knicks podcast with the New York Post. I'm your host, Kazim Famuide, a.k.a. Kaz. You can follow me on socials at Kazim, K-A-Z-E-E-M. That's on Instagram and Twitter. Catch up on all the episodes of the show this season by subscribing to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Our big guest today on the season finale of Big Apple Buckets is the one and only Jeff Van Gundy. So let's get this season finale going. Yes, the season finale of Big Apple Buckets. We have no idea when or if the NBA season will resume. But one thing we do know for sure is that the Knicks definitely won't be in the playoffs if the season were to resume. Uh, So this will be the final episode of Big Apple Buckets until around the NBA draft, uh, considering hopefully it's still on as scheduled. If there's any other major Knicks news that comes out since then, you'll probably hear from me again. But until then, this is our swan song up until next season. So shout out to everybody who was a part of this show, um, especially the New York Post uh, team of writers. Yeah, so big up to Mikey Vack, Peter Body, Zach Braziller, Greg Joyce, and of course, the one and only Mark Berman. Uh, and also a huge thank you to all of our guests this year. The one and only Walt Claude Frazier joined us on the, uh, the debut of the show. Uh, then we followed it up with my guy, Charles Oakley. Uh, Chris Childs, the only guy who joined the show twice. So big shouts to him. Uh, Jamal Crawford, Charlie Ward, Trent Tucker, Jay Farrar, my guy, Larry Brown, Jalen Rose, Matthias Kiwanuka, Jerome Junkyard Dog Williams, Adam Sandler, Kevin Garnett, Stu Jackson, Marlon Kraft, Amari Stoudemire, Carlos Boozer, Bob Delaney, Maria Marino, Ed Cohen, Mike Breen, Peter Rosenberg, Ben Affleck, Danny Green, and of course, we're ending it with a bang with my guy, the coach of the 1998-1999 Knicks that went to the NBA Finals, Jeff Van Gundy. And it was a star-studded season, even though this season wasn't the absolute best uh, to be a Knicks fan, clearly. But one time for Jake Brown, uh, our producer who you know made the guests come on time, put the project together, uh, wrote these great notes for me every day to make sure I stayed on beat and stayed on track every time we recorded a show. So shout out to him. And um, now that we've exchanged all the pleasantries let's talk some Knicks before we get on the phone with the one and only JVG another season to forget with these New York Knicks uh a season that started with a whole lot of promise which kind of seems like a broken record at this point in time when it comes to talking about the New York Knicks squandered again there was a chance that uh you know the Knicks were gonna look pretty good Julius Randle signed some team-friendly contracts a lot of people like Marcus Morris had breakout years obviously there was a whole lot of negatives to be talked about with the Knicks the reduction in production from uh, Kevin Knox, the up and down season of Frank Nilakina. A lot of things happened with Dennis Smith Jr. personal and professionally. It seems like everybody on this Knicks team kind of went through some personal strife. So it's pretty hard to get on anybody that uh, had, a, had a season like these, these guys had. But at the end of the day, man, the Knicks just didn't perform when it came to the basketball court. And it looks like we're going to be looking at ping pong balls once again, uh, once the summer rolls around. However, let's talk about some good stuff, man. Uh, obviously, the emergence of Mitch Robinson uh, leading the league 
league in field goal percentage. Easy to do that when uh, everything he does is is catching lobs and dunks, but he's become one of the standout defenders in the entire NBA and is looking like a building block to build for the future. Uh, Knicks rookie R.J. Barrett was just as good as advertised, clearly ready to play in the NBA right away. Of course, if you're comparing him to the rookie standouts like Zion Williamson and John Moran, not necessarily in that class, but he's right there with them, maybe just a notch below. And he performed pretty well given the circumstances surrounding Madison Square Garden this year. And you got to love that he took on the challenge of being in the in the Big Apple this year. So uh, I can only expect uh, greater things for him in the future. And, uh, you know, just expecting him to be a, a, a player in this NBA season. Um, not sure if he's all-star material. Not sure if he's, you know, franchise player material. But he's absolutely proven that he has a spot in this NBA league, especially in this uh, Knicks franchise that needs good, young, cheap talent wherever they can get it. So shout out to RJ Barrett for a solid uh, rookie season. Speaking of RJ, it looks like he's going to get some help in the lottery this year. As we learned last year, not having the worst record in the NBA doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're going to have all the ping pong balls you need for the first round pick. So the Knicks are basically in the same position that they were last year. They have just as much of an opportunity to possibly get a top five pick. You know, your guess is as good as mine as for anybody who they would want to go with i mean if you look at those top five picks right now you got guys like anthony edwards out of georgia who was a dynamic combo guard built like a tank gets buckets got a lot of Dwayne wade in his game you know what i mean a little bit undersized for a two guard position but could jump out the gym as strong as an ox and gets buckets by any means necessary he's a freshman out of georgia so he's looking like the possible number one pick coming this uh this summer also another intriguing prospect guy by the name of james wiseman who was looking like the preeminent number one pick going into the season but obviously his eligibility issues with the uh memphis tigers and coach penny hardaway might have put a little bit of pause for a lot of people to see what he's really made of so we won't really get to see just how good this kid is uh until we really get back into the scouting combine and given everything that's going on in the world right now we aren't really sure if there will be a scouting combine so that guy and, and especially knowing what you have at mitchell robinson you just never know if you want to go with the best player available or you want to play for fit but for the team as bad as the Knicks were this season they're in no position to try and get anybody to play for fit you get the best player you can get at that point in time another guy I'm looking at the top five is uh you know another ball brother LaMelo Ball uh we've watched this kid for the past four or five years dominate high school dominate the big baller brand league dominate uh in the NBL in Australia and you know from becoming a conscienceless gunner as a high school kid he's really rounded out into a true elite prospect in the nba he's he's gone from growing to 6'3 to about 6'8 and still plays the point guard position as smoothly as ever he's way more athletic than he was a year ago he's gotten bigger uh he's gotten stronger still got that smooth jump shot a lot smoother than his uh older brother lonzo and if you listen to anybody especially his papa they will tell you uh that lamello was going to be the best of the three ball brothers and with projections looking like it's uh 
looking like the way it is. He might be right. He might be right. He looks a little bit more well-rounded than Lonzo, bigger than Lonzo, probably just as athletic, but definitely a better shooter than Lonzo at the same age going into the NBA. And another prospect that is uh, definitely caught the attention of many Knicks fans and would probably be a great fit, not just basketball-wise, but possibly as a, as a great story, is uh, Cole Anthony at a university in North Carolina. Obviously, if you know that last name, Anthony, uh, that rings bells in New York. And that's not because of Carmelo. That's because of uh, Greg, the one-time New York Knicks point guard who played for a lot of the strong New York Knicks 90s teams. That's Cole Anthony's pops, you know. Uh, he was a Queens native, played in Queens for a while until he transferred over to Oak Hill Academy and, uh, you know, definitely took his talents to the North Carolina Tar Heels, one of the best programs in the country. Granted, they didn't have one of their standout seasons. Um, Cole Anthony was still a stud, uh, a young, dynamic point guard who could get buckets with the best of them. Got a lot of – he reminds me of a, an athletic George Hill, you know. You know what I mean? Very steady, doesn't make a lot of mistakes with the ball, very crafty creator, and a lot more athletic than he looks. You know, he doesn't pop off the screen uh, physically as far as arms and strength and body-wise, but the dude gets up. He gets off the ground so quickly and so suddenly that he will boof one on your head if you're not paying attention. Again, another lackluster season for the New York Knicks, but we're doing what we do every year, and that is looking ahead to the future, starting to look at some potential new Knicks to draft, new Knicks to uh, bring into the fold, and hoping the lottery balls bounce their way. Uh, and lastly, also, we got to start looking towards free agency, man. And obviously, there has been, uh, it's been it's been talked about a lot that the 2020 NBA offseason isn't going to be the 2019 NBA offseason that had so many franchise-changing stars available on the market. But I would say uh, there's one person in particular that, you know, reports up saying the Knicks have had their eye on for a long time. And that is Christian Wood of the Detroit Pistons, who was a free agent this year, who's played himself into a very nice, nice contract uh, this coming offseason. Obviously stepping in for the injured Blake Griffin at forward. Uh, he's been somebody who is absolutely come of age and you know still pretty young was given buckets to Rudy Gobert a few uh nights ago a few weeks ago before the season got canceled and uh well postponed and um you know fought off the coronavirus as well you know what I mean so uh he's been in the news a lot and in addition to just everything going on in the world it kind of overshadowed uh, the great season he was having for Detroit and uh, being a great outlet for a guy like Derrick Rose, who, uh, you know, has also had a, a pretty standout season for the Pistons. There's a lot of things to move in with the Knicks going into the future. Obviously not the best season for them. But again, look for these Knicks to let a lot of these guys go. A lot of these contracts are very team friendly. So, you know, definitely know Julius Randle will be back in the fold. But guys like Dennis Smith Jr., Bobby Portis, many guys who uh, signed these one-year deals with uh, team options, probably looking for greener pastures at this point. So granted, if the season does start on time, which who knows at this point, the Knicks are definitely going to look a whole lot different by the time we roll around with season two 
of Big Apple Buckets. And Kaz, before you wrap up, I'll have to say it's been a wild ride, man. This this year, this show, I mean, think of the ups and downs we have. I mean, it was the Knicks' struggle at the start. We start off with Clyde, then Oak comes on, and, you know, he's Oak. I mean, the Oak tree himself. The Fire Fisdale chants begin, and it's the front office drama, the, the impromptu press conference show we had. Uh, we had Make or Break Time. We had R.J. Barrett going back to Toronto. We had Knicks' therapy, essentially, with superfan Jerry Ferrara your boy and then Fizdale finally does get fired and we have Larry Brown on a win streak happens we had the 12 days of Nixmas mellow return to the garden and we discussed if his number should be retired we had Marlon Kraft who learned that I could drop a couple of bars with if I write them down correctly oh uh, we had we had <laughs> we had stat I mean we had the stat and mellow days with Amari uh we had Kobe passing away tragically and we had some good perspective from guys who played who reffed with him who covered him then Steve Mills was fired I mean the list goes on and on and then we had the Steve Stout first take experience we had Leon Rose become the new Knicks president uh, we had the NBA all-star in Chicago uh, we had the voices of the Knicks on Ed Cohn and Mike Breen we had Peter Rosenberg with the Kenny Atkinson would he be a potential coach and then we had Danny Green so and then Childs remembering that team and then JVG today so season wise Kaz it's been wild from everything that happened with the Knicks and all the firings guess wise it's been fun and uh, the Knicks are always a good time and let's hope that in the off season and next season it's a lot less firing we're talking about and a lot more victories but nonetheless it's been a really fun show and it's been uh you know it's been a good ride with you yeah man it's been awesome bro uh let's get into the talk with uh jvg right now no right now i'm gonna give you a little baby okay Whoa, the, new, the new hit Whoa. yeah it's going crazy and joining us today on the season finale of big apple buckets with the new york post he was the Knicks head coach from 1996 to 2001. You can catch him on ESPN as an NBA commentator right now. He's a fan favorite. He's a Nick legend in my eyes. The one and only Jeff Van Gundy. How you doing, JVG? I'm doing fine. How are you guys? Doing all right. Doing all right. All things considered, doing okay, man. And, uh, you know, obviously there's no games on, but we figured today would be a great day to kind of take a look back and put some smiles on some faces and talk about some good times with the Knicks. And uh, there's not a lot of people out there that is more tied to good times with the Knicks than yourself, uh, especially as the head coach of that very special 1998-1999 team. So, uh, Jeff, take me back to that those years, man. Uh, I know it was a shortened season uh, coming out of a lockout, but uh, I would just love to get your perspective on uh, how you kind of approach this season as different to any other one that you coached. Well, it was, like you said, the lockout was long. Patrick Ewing was the president of the Players Association, so he had a lot of duties as well. We made two major trades. We made a trade uh, for Marcus Camby, you know, right around the uh, draft, and then we traded for Latrell Sprewell uh, right as the lockout ended. So we, we had a lot of change. We had an abbreviated training camp. And then we also had an injury to Spreewell after the first two games of the year. And uh, I think he was out maybe like, I don't know, anywhere from 10 to 12 games, something like that, which in a normal year uh, would be bad enough. But in a lockout year and in a c compressed schedule of 50 games, uh, it made things challenging. But thankfully, uh, we had good depth, good guys, good competitors. And by the end of the year, we were playing good basketball. Yeah, man, you guys uh, you guys kind of brought it all together towards the end. And you, you snuck in by the skin of your teeth as that eighth seed. Tell me about that last run. I think it was like, I think you guys confirmed the last eighth seed, I think with like a week left to go in the season. 
season. What was the atmosphere like in that locker room and with those guys trying to squeeze in that last uh, little spot into the playoffs that year? Well, you know, we knew we had a good team. We were a, a frustrated team because of so many changes, so little time. Uh, Ewing hurt for most of the season. Like I mentioned before, Spreewell hurt. And we just didn't like, we didn't have any chemistry or any fit for a good part of the season. But we had a great comeback win in Miami where we were down 20 and came back to win at the end. And that sort of catapulted us in the last few games of the regular season. So we started to play better. And then from there, you know, I think we ended up the 50 games at 27 and 50 and 27 and 23. And so if we would have played the whole 82, we would have been a, you know, to me, the way we were playing, we would have been a mid 45, 48 win team. Uh, but because of the shortened season, it looked like we were an eight seed. And that was, you know, we weren't an eight seeded team when we were whole. And, uh, you know, I thought, you know, we played a good first round against Miami, really a dominant second round against Atlanta, and then against a really good Indiana team after Ewing went out, then Johnson went out in game six. It showed the heart of our players to finish that uh, series off in six games. Now, Jeff, I know uh, they say styles make fights. You guys at full strength obviously were better than the eighth seed with Sprewell, Houston, Camby, Childs, Ewing. Do you honestly think that being the eighth seed actually worked out to your benefit because you're going against a team that you saw a lot of in Miami. There was no love loss between both of those franchises and uh, maybe a different sort of uh, matchup might have not have boded well for you guys. Did that ever uh, occur to you as um, that, that series was going on? Uh, not really. I think when you get into the playoffs, what happened in the regular season or what happened in the past really has no bearing what's going to happen in that particular series. And so what you try to do is you just try to prepare as best you can uh, to play as well as you can. And knowing that most series have a lot of twists and turns to it, that one did. We got the final bounce uh, that rolled in on the Houston shot, but it could have easily gone the other way as well. So we were a good team. We were playing a very good team in Miami. Series could have gone either way. But the team that really had dominated us in the regular season was Indiana. We played the last regular season game that year against Miami at the Garden. And our players at shoot-around that day were talking about trying to avoid Indiana by, you know, maybe tanking that last game against Miami so we could avoid Indiana in the first round and get to Miami. Jeff, did you did you actually say the T word on, on recorded <laughs> on recorded audio? Did you plan to actually lose a game to avoid the Pacers? No, no. I was saying the players were talking about it, not me. So uh, <laughs> okay. we talked about we talked about right there. We talked about right there before shoot around. No way. We're as good as anybody. We're not going to try to avoid anybody. We're going to have to go through three tough opponents anyway. And we're playing the Miami game to continue to build on what we had done in the last couple of weeks of the regular season. And we're going to feel good about whoever we play in the first round, whether it's Indiana or Miami. Uh, we crushed Miami at home that night. And it just turned out, I believe, Indiana lost on that last night. So we played Miami in the first round anyway. I never believed in trying to get to any one opponent because all these teams were really good back then. You know, Indiana or Miami, it didn't matter. So 
Anyway, we got to the first round. We had Miami. And like I said, it could have gone either way. How big, Jeff, was that of an accomplishment when you took down the almighty Pacers? You lost as an assistant uh, in 95, and then in 98, you lost to them again. Was that kind of like a mini-finals championship? Like, you get to the finals, and you finally take down this team that you guys had long, winding, grueling series against. Well... You know, back then, you know, it was so interesting, right? In the 90s, when you had in the Eastern Conference, you had four teams that were highly competitive and you had intermittent rivalries with each of them. So Miami, Chicago, and Indiana. And so it was like in the playoffs, it was incredible basketball. And so in the Indiana series of 99, we win game one at Indiana. And because it was so physical and such a bloodbath, Dick Bavetta an hour and a half before the game, went to talk to each coach, uh, Larry Bird and myself, about how it, the NBA basically called in and said, this went over the line on physicality and it's going to be, you know, totally tightened up today. And so that was, that's the only time in my coaching career that an official ever had a pregame meeting with both coaches to basically tell them to ramp down the physicality. And so we play game two. We, we're in foul trouble right away. And we get down big. And we come back and we have a, a brutal block charge call go against Camby that should have been a charge, turned into a three-point play. And then Ewing misses at the buzzer. And unbeknownst to us, has an Achilles issue that keeps him out the rest of the playoffs. And then, you know, we go back and we split at the garden and then Larry Johnson coming up with huge, two huge three-point shots in game five to seal the deal. And then in game six, he goes out with an injury. And so we're further depleted. And somehow, you know, with the greatness of Houston down the stretch, we pull that game out, which I, I think for us showed everything about what our players were made of. They, they had such resilience, such perseverance. You know, it was a great team victory. Now, Jeff, you, I know you already mentioned that, uh, you know, Patrick Ewing was uh, the player, president of the Players Union that year. Father Time was catching up. He had an Achilles injury that, you know, was unbeknownst to you guys. How much of a difference do you think a healthy Patrick Ewing, even at that advanced age, could have made uh, as far as uh, the Spurs, well, taking on the Spurs in that NBA Finals in 1999. Yeah, I mean, those those are hard to know. Obviously, we were depleted depth-wise because Johnson, he was playing, but he was on a, you know, spray knee, and, you know, that kept him out of the second half of the Indiana game. So that was hard, and Dudley was hurting at that time. Camby was playing well, but, you know, he was having a match up against Duncan and, and Robinson. So certainly Ewing would have helped, but I, I think uh, San Antonio proved throughout that lockout season that they were the best team. I think we would have been more competitive. I think we would have won more, you know, games in that series. But I still think ultimately San Antonio had the better team and would have won. Now, Jeff, I mean, outside of being a coach during that finals team and, you know, just ingratiating yourself to the nationwide audience on ESPN and, you know, everybody's getting to know you personally. New York fans got to fall in love with you first with that amazing rivalry with the Miami Heat. Then the brawl happened with Larry Johnson and Alonzo Mourning. I will never forget you getting dragged by Alonzo's ankle uh, <laughs> all over the court. 
please just just elaborate on your thought process during that entire scrum. I mean, obviously, that's something that will probably never happen uh, again in, in the NBA game. But I would just love to hear your thoughts on uh, how you how you strategize going after the ankle during that scrum. If you think there was any strategy involved, um, you're mistaken. <laughs> I understand why um, people in court plead temporary insanity because I have no really recollection of that time because I started out high. Uh, Larry Johnson sort of hit me with a punch that was going towards morning. He hit me with a glancing blow and brought me down to uh, the ankles of morning. And then Oakley thankfully pulled me off and was laughing at me. And, you know, the thing is, back then, you know, we didn't really talk. I didn't have any relationship with, you know, the Heat guys. Ewing, obviously, was close with Morning, but it was true rivalry. And, and so the next year, I was coaching the All-Star game. And I don't think I'd ever spoken to Morning one time in my life. And so we, I'd never talked to him about, you know, the previous year getting um, hit or whatever, you know, whatever it was, right? So yeah, he came up from behind me and grabbed me. And thankfully, he was good-natured about it because <laughs> if the NBA would have let us go at it, we wouldn't be having this interview today. I would have been like six feet under a long, long time ago. Then in 2001, Marcus Camby kind of lost control trying to punch Danny Ferry. Has he ever paid you back for this incident where uh, he, he got you with uh, the right, right fist? Again, uh, trying to prevent a suspension because I saw Candy tracking Ferry after Ferry uh, tried to hit him with a cheap shot. I got uh, hit myself, cut, and Canby got suspended five games. At least the league, since I took the blow, should have given me the option. Do you want him suspended or not? I would have said no, so he could have kept playing, right? Like, that was only fair to me. I got the double whammy of getting cut and losing a really good player in Marcus, who I think it was a five-game suspension. So, Jeff, man, uh, obviously the, the electric atmosphere in MSG – coaching that team and you know I, I talked to Chris Childs last week there are very many electric moments in the garden but not many have been as crazy as the Larry Johnson four-point play how how crazy the garden was going Child spoke candidly about having to calm down the LJ right after the shot and having to you know make him a, a sink that upcoming free throw he spoke about the play not being drawn up for Larry Johnson initially that's his uh point of view i'd love to hear your point of view on what was actually drawn up for that for that to uh going against the pacers it was trying to get alan houston the ball you know for the three and they did a good job of defending him charlie ward's inbound pass he was by far our best inbounder got deflected so it threw off the whole timing of all the action and then larry just made uh, a spectacular shot and chris is right he he did um, you see it on the film. He, he makes sure that Larry Johnson calms down and he gets him calm. And, and Larry, to his credit, after such an incredible shot, makes a free throw. And then, as importantly, uh, we got a stop against Mark Jackson as he tried to back in. You know, we tried to keep the ball out of Reggie Miller's hand on the last shot. And Mark missed a, a somewhat makeable, you know, long teardrop. But that was a great finish for our team. Uh, I would love to know about, uh, you know, I know you were mentored by Pat 
Pat Riley, the Don Nelsons of the world. Um, I'd love to know what they instilled in you to help you become the leader and the head coach of the Knicks because, uh, you know, I, I guess, you know, Mike Miller, the current coach of the Knicks, is kind of in a similar situation where he kind of came in as an incumbent. He's he's won the fans over a little bit uh, since, you know, coming in as an interim basis. You came in on an interim basis, became the head coach. What's some of the things that Don Nelson and Pat Riley instilled in you to be ready for such a position at that time? I had the uh, benefit of working for four people at the Knicks before I became the interim coach. Stu Jackson was the person that initially hired me. I had worked with Stu at Providence College for Coach Patino. And then he was replaced by Don McLeod, who kept me on. And, you know, then Pat Riley for four years and Don Nelson for part of one season. And I think what you learn most about is how the NBA works, how you pace your team, how to be true to yourself, how to be demanding without being condescending. And so all four of those guys taught me a lot. I was with uh, Coach Riley the longest, you know, so I learned so much about how to run an NBA team from him, from Don Nelson, uh, really a, a brilliant, brilliant offensive mind that wasn't afraid to try new stuff. And and what that taught me is just be bold and, and be yourself. Nelly was his, himself every day that he was on the job. And so, yeah, I learned a lot from a lot of people. And the difference between Mike Miller and myself was I had so much better players to come in and <laughs> And and that's not a knock to the guys they have, but when you're making mistakes like I made, your experienced head coach in the NBA, I had the greatness of Ewing and Oakley and Starks and he, those guys, Harper, to carry me. And so the only people that realized I was making mistakes was myself. But so many times they bailed me out of those mistakes through their great play. And so as a as a young coach, what you learn early is that you can learn as much from your players, particularly the smart players, the competitive players, as they can learn from you. And I learned so much from those guys. And, and Mike, I worked with, with USA Basketball, and I think he's done an absolutely stellar job. And I expected nothing different because He's a terrific basketball coach, and he's been a head coach in college. He was with their G League for a long time as a head coach. So he brought in a lot of experience, even though it was only his first year with the Knicks as an assistant. Uh, he knows the pro game very well, and I think he's really helped maximize their talent. I'm so happy for him uh, and for the Knicks uh, that he's done such a great job. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeff Van Gundy, uh, you can catch it. We miss you on ESPN. We miss you on the NBA, and we especially miss you uh patrolling the sidelines at Madison Square Garden. Hope you stay safe. Hope you stay well. Thank you so much. It means a lot for you, uh, for us to have you on the season finale of Big Apple Bucket, sir. No problem. Take care, guys. You too. Stay safe. Thanks for the kudos. And that's a wrap for the final episode of the season of Big Apple Buckets with the New York Post. Shout out to Jake Brown for producing this show each and every week, all season long. He worked his behind off for this. And thank you for the support during this incredible season. It was, it was a roller coaster from the beginning to the end. And uh, we couldn't have done it without you guys, man. So subscribe wherever you get podcasts to listen back to all the episodes and the guests this season. We'll be back around the NBA draft time, barring any major Knicks news until then. So we'll talk to you all next time right here on Big Apple Buckets. Everybody stay safe and I hope to see you soon. Peace out.